Thank you, Barbara. Uh, thanks to all of you for coming. Um, great to see us. Actually, great to see some faces again after some presentations yesterday. It was really great, guys. So thanks. I was at your panel. It was really exciting. And also, Barbara. So I think there's a great you know, group of people here who are interested in the same subject in uh, getting skills and uh, higher education for refugees. Um, this project is basically also born out of OXIP 2014. You'll hear that again later on in this panel. Uh, which is a good way of starting, I guess. So here we are to refine it. And, and you know, Ali and I met a year ago here at the conference and, uh, and and here we are with the project idea that we're currently developing. And over to you, Ali. For yeah, so project. we're going to be telling you a little bit about um, our project Recoded, which is a project housed um, at New York University with uh, UNHCR as our main implementing partner for the moment. But um, we can also have other implementing partners later on down the track as well. So it's mainly focused on Syrian refugees, um, but can be contextualized worldwide, um, which Freddie will talk about as well. Um, so I wanted to start off by going through um, sort of the context and the problems of why this, this sort of project was um, initiated in the first place. And then Freddie's gonna talk about sort of the methodology that we use um, and the skills that we actually want to teach for this for this project. Um, so, just looking at the Syrian crisis, uh, it's displaced over 2.6 million people at this stage, um, really uh, straining the capacity of host governments and the international humanitarian community to respond effectively, especially in terms of education and livelihoods. Um, and in particular for the youth demographic. So often educational education is prioritised for um, primary education um, and then secondary education is an afterthought. But there's a real gap between um, access to secondary education is difficult in many of these contexts, but also a huge gap between secondary education and getting access to tertiary education or being able to access the formal labour market. Um, so, in terms of what that hap what happens to youth who are aged between 16 and 25, they're at an incredibly um, elevated risk of getting married very young, um, being recruited by armed groups like ISIS in um, Iraq and Syria, um, as well as severe exploitation by the labour market or sexual exploitation. Um, so. In terms of what's actually happening for the response, um, it's very difficult for youth to actually access education um, and vocational training for a number of reasons. So in terms of education, um, some of the problems include language barriers. Um, so for example, in Iraq, the Syrian refugees that are coming through are used to learning in Arabic but the local population um, is learning in Kurdish. So there's a real difficulty to actually access local schools um, if they're in urban areas and in camp settings, um, despite the conflict being um, four years down the track, we've only got about three secondary schools in camp settings set up so far. Um, and unfortunately, the reality is that a lot of um, youth really actually need to earn an income to be able to support their families. You're seeing a lot of child-headed households. Um, and vocational training, a lot of NGOs are rolling out platforms for vocational training, but often 
Um, the average length of a training program is about three weeks and it's difficult to really master a skill within three weeks which is going to be able to enable a refugee to actually generate an income in any meaningful way. Um, there's also a real um, lack of cooperation between humanitarian organisations and the private sector, which I think has been a theme throughout this conference. Um, so often the skills taught are not actually matching the market demands and people are just rolling out lots of training platforms that are completely irrelevant to the context. Um, and yeah, as a result, um, they can fulfill the KPI of saying, we did a vocational training program, but the result is that still youth are unemployed in these contexts. However, there is a huge potential for this demographic. Um, they're often incredibly resilient, very innovative, really entrepreneurial. And if those skills could really be harnessed, um, you're actually allowing them to be completely self-reliant. Um, so in terms of the skills that um, we're thinking of teaching, really want to be able to equip people with 21st century skill set that enables them to be mobile on a global level. So we all know that the average length of stay in a refugee camp um, globally is around 17 to 20 years, but you still want people to be able to generate a skill set which enables them to um, resettle elsewhere and still be able to carry that, carry that same skill set to be able to get a job in a different market. Um, and the skills taught really need to be um, in line with what the market is actually demanding so that they can generate an income. And teaching skills like this has so many positive flow-on effects. Um, you bolster their confidence and their leadership, you support a continuous learning model, so if you're offering an opportunity um, which is after secondary school, it motivates people to actually complete primary and secondary school because there is an opportunity afterwards. Um, it also increases social cohesion. So by demonstrating uh, the positive impact um, that refugees can have in a host community um, and the contributions that they have to the economy, there's more likelihood that there's going to be cohesion between the host community and refugees themselves, especially if they're having to work together because you then share stories and you have a, um, you have a shared vision of you know, what it is to be a human. Um, so what we're sort of looking at is tapping into this potential for um, the digital and information economy and looking at the market needs. Uh, we all know that the IT industry throughout the world is growing incredibly rapidly. Um, projections are about an 18% increase in the market over the next uh, seven years compared to increases in any other market which don't even go near that range. It's probably half that, 9 or 10% growth expectations. So why aren't we tapping into this huge potential where we have this resource? Um, and skills opportunity and linking them to jobs that we know are very in demand. Um, and locally and regionally across the Middle East, there is a massive skill shortage in people that are trained up in IT and yet it's one of the fastest growing sectors uh, <coughs> in the industry. Um, mm -hmm. So I'll let Freddie talk about some of the skills. Okay. Uh, for us, it's not just about 
you know, an applied skill, which is actually number five. And I'm starting with saying that because obviously, you know, as you just presented about the digital skills market, but we would like to do something that allows for flexibility, adaptivity of the refugees who take this learning course um, and also for the economic mobility. So meaning that we would like to start with confidence building, which we all know is crucial for them to actually learn how to learn, to be motivated to go through with it as well. Um, to learn about employability and soft skills and f gain some foundational skills. The language skills will be important. Um, the materials themselves will be localized to their language needs, but also for them to gain additional language uh, skills through face-to-face -face training, um, more on the exact teaching methodologies a bit later, is crucial to us as well. Entrepreneurialism for those who want to go down that route, um, for those who need to create jobs where they are not uh, available, that will be a crucial part and then specialist applied skills so really going into different uh, components of the digital market not just going for high level skills like programming and such which will be part of um, the portfolio of options but also uh, teleworking skills uh, the ability to do digital work that is perhaps a bit simpler in terms of the digital learning curve so the you know the skills level they need to achieve but that can be very effective in terms of generating an income uh, going forward um, so it's about a combination. It's, it's, it's not just about a course was available somewhere and we wanted to adapt it for this context. It's more about creating with, you know, adapted open educational materials and potentially a few added materials, something that's holistic and flexible. And actually, in different contexts, we hope that one to four will also yield themselves to other skills programs, so not just in the digital space. So we're hoping that the work won't be redundant. Um, uh, but that it will enforce uh, modularity and, and allow other other spin-offs and uh, we're really looking for partners for that kind of work so you know imagine any type of practical applied skill um, and adding that um, in terms of how the training is going to be set up yes there will be digital learning yes there will be course type learning but we want to want to also ensure that there is human interaction and um, group-based learning um, Blended learning, in fact, a mix between you know face-to-face -face interaction, digital resources, when possible, some online interactions. But we're also very aware of the constraints, of course, of the context. Um, there will be a mentor community, which we will rely on a bit less heavily than on the tutor network and on the students' ability to do group-based learning, just because of availability and not wanting to focus too much on resource outside of the context. The mentors can add. Um, asynchronous resources which will always be available to different locations whenever they share a let's say an applied learning context so when the market of these students is the same maybe for example in Egypt and in Turkey which are two locations that we want to target um, and to, to serve Syrian refugees and others um, then they might share some conditions but then not uh, other conditions but you, so you see the, the general uh, principle will always be the same uh, these coaches will also be able to help grow the content base and again that should be applicable in different scenarios so it's about getting the model right but also uh, being scalable if we do um, yeah in fact the tutors can be refugee facilitators I've done this pro the kind of project before we'll talk about that more later in another presentation in this panel but the essential thing is we all know that works a lot of us seem to believe in that we know that local capacity means 250 days per year availability, reaching people deeply and with a mentorship um, level that is never, you know, uh, you can't do that, at least without forming a personal relationship. 
over an online uh, relationship. You can do some work, but of course it won't have exactly the same effect on confidence and all those skills which are the enablers for applied work. Yeah, in terms of uh, outcomes, actually what's really important to us is that it's hard livelihoods factors. Um, we w we uh, first application of this project will be working with the livelihoods unit who have just released a new set of livelihoods KPIs uh, for any project and that includes some um, job creation, that includes um, you know income generated. Um, that means for us uh, that the, the, the participants will be channeled into three different directions. Jobs with placements, so whenever we can strike partnerships with local stakeholders, new businesses or regional stakeholders, we will try and place them directly after their experience, but also job seeking uh, assistance, so the tutors slash mentors, it can be different people in some circumstances, can also assist them, so linking them up with job centers, etc. And um, entrepreneurship and microfinance, this is a bit further down the line, but we hope that a certain percentage of uh, participants will have a tendency towards um, wanting to create their own business and we want to support that as that is an additional skill set uh, even to the extent of potentially even another spin-off for social entrepreneurship but you know that's kind of further down the line but we want to account for that and we want to provide the coaching facility for that too. Okay there was a weird animation which is coming now. Okay. <laughs> um, so about the livelihoods KPIs that would mean income generated, uh, employment, business is created for the entrepreneurial component and community initiatives started for the social uh, social entrepreneurial component and um, we want to not me measure that just after the um, completion of a you know training by a participant but we want to keep going you know rapid pro and such um, technologies which are used a lot by a lot of you already for measurement um, can be then used to do uh, surveys um, even six and twelve months after the completion of a course and we want to keep in touch with people uh, yeah in terms of uh, okay this is a bit cut off sorry for that in terms of how we want to do this actually we want to do it with a human-centered design approach that's based on the users and the tutors who are immediate collaborators on the ground and um, actually Barbara has inspired me to do the slide yesterday uh, with um, something that I thought was brilliant and um, which is you know having tutors go through early iterations of a course and um, together with the students, the first cohorts of students and actually providing the input uh, directly and in a qualitative and potentially quantitative way uh, where you really can tackle what's lacking in your curriculum and just trying to ref keep refining that and that's actually true for all components. The hope is to do that uh, rapidly uh, with agile iterations of your content base and with constant refinement, so always questioning uh, yourself and the status quo. In fact, uh, in terms of partnerships in the future, well, UNHR Exchange is the one of the first applications of it. That's a platform I've been working on with um, UNHCR, which is coming out for refugees. I mean, it's been used already, but it's been tested. It's coming out um, uh, later this year with different skills programs. We know, of course, there's a lot of other platforms out there too, so it's not about redundancies. Ideally, we want to integrate and share content bases and this is just about one place where refugees will find skills training, but also tutors will find packages and modules, as I said earlier, that they will be able to apply in different contexts. So the hope is to have a central place for that stuff. Uh, it's supposed to be bottom-up defined in terms of the curriculum. You see actually a few to-be-determined uh, things because we want to collaborate. We have a global knowledge map, which I'm not showing here because of the lack of time, but we want to develop that and recode it fits in very well within this particular approach and, and that's why we are collaborating with the livelihoods unit. Um, government priorities and third-party skills evaluations will become part of how we 
check up the skills demands. Um, yeah, we're coming to the future actually. Um, something we can do flexibly in, in discussion with you later as well. Again, as I said, modular in the sense that being able to work with different contexts and partners, so not just in the refugee context or displaced uh, person context, but also in other poverty context, because there's no reason why this wouldn't be applied beyond. Um, we want to not restrict this. This will all be all the content that we will use will be open source. All the content we generate will be Creative Commons, so to speak. And uh, that's really important to us. Um, keep sharing and keep building the Lego blocks until it's a castle or a fort and not different small things. Uh, that's pretty much it in terms of the future. We want to, you know, the modular approach means, you, you, again, if you have ideas as to what else could be told this way, maybe with these components or similar components, please come to us, not just after the presentation. We'd like to be in touch with you, which is why, um, you know, we will show you our contact details in a moment. And yeah, the hope is that we can build a tutor network around the world with, with them being, you know, connected online because they will be able to rely a bit more on online technologies to exchange best practice. And, and we hope that, you know, some of you might even want to become part of that or your, you know, your kind of like insiders can become part of that as well. And yeah, in terms of contacting us, here we are on LinkedIn. We didn't write down the details, but you'll find us by our names, which are on the uh, catalog and we've got Twitter and email. So we're, we're in the 21st century, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're looking forward to discussing this with you afterwards and, and what your programs are. I saw some exciting stuff yesterday, so that's really good. Okay guys, thanks for this. Um, over to the next one.